0: OK, now it's time for our increasingly popular uh, podcast uh, where we ask well-known people for their top five books. Uh, I'm delighted to say we're joined by broadcaster and author of the best-selling and critically acclaimed book Children of the Rising, Joe Duffy, you're very welcome. Shane, how are you? Good I'm morning I'm good, to you. I'm good. Before we get to your books, because uh, there's some really interesting choices there, uh, growing up in Ballyfermot, was reading a big part of in your household? There was
1: really only one book in the house and that was Sean O'Casey's trilogy, I knock on the door. My father was big into O'Casey because he was from the same part of the city and I've had a love of O'Casey ever since. And the other, the only other book, Shane, I remember coming into the house was Goodbye to the Hill by Lee Don, which we were not allowed to read under any circumstances. <laughs> but then we had, in Ballyferma, a converted shop, which was a library. It was a small shop, no bigger than this studio in one sense. And there was a librarian there on his own, smoked a pipe, had glasses and it was an Aladdin's cave to me. It was absolutely incredible. You got the little linen container to put your tickets in and you handed in your tickets for your two books that you were allowed every every fortnight. But it was... I still remember the smell. I still remember where all the books were located. It was such such a... In addition to Ballyfermot, and it was a small library for a population of forty thousand people, yeah. so it was fairly busy.
0: And were you a pretty regular visitor to the yeah, library loved it. there? I
1: did. Lo- I know. I know. It's um, a cliche about libraries, but I, I still do love the libraries. It was a great resource, and it was like it was space. You could go down and sit there. There wasn't as many people in it as I look back on it now as I thought there should be. But it was a great space also to go into and sit for an hour or two on your way home from school or have an evening. But it was, uh, as I say, an Aladdin's cave, a treasure trove. And um, that's why libraries are still so important all over the country.
0: Yeah. It's incredible because I often think about that because I suppose we were wealthier now Mm -hmm. than we were then. I think there's no doubt about that. And we tend to, I I tend to buy a lot of books from my kids. I mean, that was a luxury people really didn't have back in the the, the 50s and 60s. Not a a newspaper. The Evening Herald was the only
1: publication that ever came into Warehouse. Uh, and I came in every day. And also, I, 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 people say to me, why do you still use the library? And I say, one of the reasons is because I want to keep the library open. Yeah. Because they depend on footfall. They depend. They're measured every year on the numbers that come in. And people say to me, i read a great book and it's called whatever. And I say, well, why don't you go in the library and order it? And they say, "Well, I've I've already read it. Well, go in the library, tell them about it, and they'll. You're 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 ordering for someone else. Yeah. And the great thing about the library, one of the problems about buying so many books is space. The great thing about the library is that once you give the book back, it's available for someone else. Yeah. And someone else. Something very communal about it, obviously. Really communal. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay, let's get to some of your choices. Really interesting first choice. Mm-hmm. A book I have to admit I'd kind of forgotten about. I hadn't forgotten about the person because I, I see him around every every now and yeah. then. Brian Keenan and Evelyn Cradle. But it is I I read it at the time. It is a fantastic book. Thirty
1: years ago, he was um, in working as an English teacher in Beirut, and very lots of echoes of our current week Absolutely, that was in it. Yeah, Islamic Jihad. Yeah, yeah, were, uh, kidnapped by Islamic jihadists and. Uh, held in an underground basement for nigh on five years and for a lot of the time on his own in horrific conditions. And then he was released um, five years later. John McCarthy, who a lot of people know, he's a broadcaster now at the BBC, was his, for a lot of the time, not all of the time, a lot of the time his his fellow prisoner in the cell. So Brian Keenan... And there was an incredible campaign by his two sisters, Brandon Lane. Bre- incredible campaign here. He knew nothing about it. But when he was released, there was I remember going to the press conference in Dublin Castle with Jerry Collins, who's the Minister for Foreign Affairs, and Brian Keenan was just so mesmeric. Here's a man who was incarcerated against his will for five years, did not know if the next knock was the death knock. And he was so generous and very humorous and v- extraordinarily reflective. And given that on this Easter Sunday today, we're being asked to be reflective and reimagine and remember. If you read An Evil Cradling, here is a man who did all of those three things and he wrote a masterpiece from five years of incarceration where nothing happened, in one sense, nothing happened. Yet his book is at one end you look at the depths of despair that you can go to in times of great difficulty and unfortunately a lot of people both in Ireland through at this past week and Brussels on Tuesday are going through depths of despair and what else is happening mm-hmm. in the world that we all know about unfortunately um, still continues. He goes from the, a glimpse of the depths of despair to a glimpse of the strength and the uplift of the human spirit. So he, he wrote this incredible book, even the title... Think about the title, An Evil Cradling. What a beautiful combination It is of thought. It's about a it. story in itself, An yeah. Evil Cradling, which is his phrase, by the way, he came up. The book is extraordinarily lyrical. And I remember it came out, I think, it came out in 94 90, no, my kids were born in 95, so it came out before that because I could read before 95. I got time. Yeah, early 90s. I think yeah, right? early yeah, ed, yeah. And I yeah. remember being on holidays reading it and I remember finishing it. I couldn't put it down. I remember finishing a chain on a ferry, Going from Corfu to a nearby island, and I remember when I finished it, I, I just I burst into tears. Yeah, I vividly. And my wife, we weren't married, but June said to me, "What, what's, what's if You got a bit of? There was no mobile phones, and what what's that happening?" I said, "Just that book is so incredibly uplifting, yeah. and incredibly moving."
0: I saw him on a on a beach in Mayo a no, good know? few years ago, and he just struck me as a man. Who was, despite everything he'd gone through, who was yeah. really in love with life? Actually, yeah, I know that's yeah. a, a weird thing yeah, to say. Yeah, I, I just, I, know, I, I know. just took that from observing him. Yeah. Uh, he was just enjoying the simple things in life. A great sense of humor, kind of kept him very, going.
1: Very, very, and very humble, very humorous, very down to earth. I don't know Brian well. I've met him a few times, and always found him extraordinarily engaging and and uh, embracing. But it's it's well worth get it in your library. Or I think it's still in the shops. An evil cradling Brian
0: Keenan. and yeah, no, fantastic book, great choice. Let's move on to your second choice, Joe. Uh, one of the great Irish storytellers, I think, it's fair. to you, you mentioned Sean O'Casey. Uh, I mean, Frank O'Connor oh, yeah. is 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 right up there and probably the best short story writer we've we've ever produced. Oh, absolutely! And wow, we got some short story we writers do. now: we do. Colin
1: Barris, uh, Gavin Corbett, Kevin Barry. Donald Ryan, who will hopefully talk about in a minute. But Frank O'Connor is my childhood reading. And Frank was a librarian as well. And I go into the library and he was a librarian in Pembroke there in Ballsbridge, where they have his his death mask, believe it or not. And um I don't know if he was a good librarian or not. It was <laughs> extraordinarily well read. Just his stories of childhood in Cork. For me from Dublin, reading about Cork, it was almost this exotic place and going into a different world, his relationship with his mother was just so warm, so enduring. You could see them. He he loved, this is where my Oedipus Complex, one of his great collections comes from, and then his description of his relationship when this imposter came back from the First World War and this and took over the house, and this imposter was his uncouth, uh, slovenly, big, ambling, it was his father. <laughs> yeah. His father basically. And he wasn't happy to see him he back wasn't, at all. It was as if his father was a burglar in
0: the house. Yeah,
1: yeah. And he describes that as very humorous, very moving. They are timeless. I recently, and the problem is they can be hard to get. So I say to anyone who has got a Frank O'Connor collection, either get it rebound, get it guarded and refresh it and uh, make sure nobody takes it on you because they are are absolute gems and they do not age. Only last month, Frank O'Connor was 50 years dead in March. He's a beautiful, as so far as you can never say that, beautiful grave, really well tended out in Dean's Grange. I've been to a few times. But he's 50 years dead but his short stories are totally enduring. And he, like, he was a critic as well. Yeah. Right? And he was a brilliant literary critic. And he's written, for anyone, when I was trying to write the book, and indeed when I was trying to write a, most recent book Children at the Rising is a book of non-fiction uh, but I did write a book of fiction years ago it was called my, my autobiography but um, when I know when I was writing that and also when I was writing Children at the Rising to get going of a morning to try and get into a zone where you could get, and God, imagine me having been so immodest to even mention the word lyrical in the same conversation as my name, but to try and get into a zone. I would read Frank O'Connor. Would you, read? Really? Yes, yeah. I would start reading a short story. And just try and get into how he, he, you're reading a short story and he's already... That's probably uh, good advice for half, you, right Yeah, now, I, well, yeah, I think so. I remember the great Joe O'Connor, another great writer. Joe, uh, remember in, in an interview, was saying that one of the things he did, he, he used to copy out short stories. Like he used to copy, in longhand, well. short stories. So they all must be tattooed into his into his uh, is, yeah. into his memory but i the point of the I'm trying to make about frank o'Connor as a critic he was a stunning critic and he was brilliant at um at writing about short stories and writing about short story uh writing and um I found this piece only this weekend as I had a bit of time yesterday um and it was is Frank o'Connor paraphrasing a short story written by j. d. salinger, okay And this is something you could nearly tweet, but it is so precise. This is Frank O'Connor, great as ever, as you say, and internationally. This is him shortening a short story by the great J.D. Salinger again, and it's from Pretty Mouth and Green My Eyes. And this is the short story in about 60 words as written by Frank O'Connor. A deceived husband whose wife is out late rings up his best friend without suspecting that the wife is in the best friend's bed. The best friend consoles him in a rough and ready way and finally the deceived husband, a decent man who is ashamed of his own outburst, rings again to say that the wife has come home though she is still in bed with her lover. That's, that's the Frank <laughs> O'Connor's wow. presse of a short story. And to think about that story now. That will, I yes. know the short, shortest short story ever written yes. was For Sale, Pair of Baby Shoes Unused. You know, that short story. Well, this is Frank O'Connor's attempt at... uh, So just think about that. The deceived husband ringing his (laughs) best mate, not knowing. And then he feels awful. What does that tell us about him? And he rings him back and says, "Eh, she's home. She wasn't home because she's still in the company of his so-called best friend.
0: That's a, anyway, that's a that's great fact. I, I love that, and I love the line in the Maidivus Complex where he says he, he's trying to work out why his mother's affections have transferred yes. to, and it, he puts it down to that unhealthy habit of sharing a bed. So <laughs> exactly. Whatever, there are words to that, effect. I think it's brilliant. Your third choice, great choice, and uh, on the day that's in it, I suppose, as well, we're mm. commemorating the rising. You've picked Port Gates, oh, a yeah. city in wartime. There's obviously a, a link, I suppose, between your book and Port Gates' book, in that you're both talking about the real lives, the real ordinary yeah. lives that were affected in this period.
1: And if there's any set of books, it's Parik's trilogy that influenced me more than any anything else. It is Parik Yates's three books on Dublin, basically between 1913 and 1923. And the one I'm talking about is City of Wartime between 14 and 18. It is just full of incredible social detail what the people ate how they lived the crime rates all these asides now it can be quite dense at times even in layout but it is it is such such an important book and I don't think Parry gets the rightful praise he deserves though the books were extraordinarily well reviewed rightly so but they are just you can open them on any page that's what I want to say about the city in wartime Parry Gates you can open it at any page and you can read it freestanding so to speak and you'll get an insight into the lives of as well as he's brilliant on the big political pictures. He has mm. incredible analysis. He has an incredible sense of analysis because of his own... He was a, he was a uh, highly acclaimed journalist for a long number of years. He was extraordinarily yeah. well-read, extraordinarily diligent. And he is, he is an expert. And the other thing about Parik that has to be said, anyone who knows him, he's extraordinarily generous as a writer. He's probably generous as a person as well, but he's extraordinarily generous. I remember when I was writing The Children of the Rising, I was stuck for a quote. I I tried to start all my chapters with an O'Casey quote or something, given that he was such an important writer that period, and I remember ringing Porrig. I was on my way into uh, the mother house in Donnybrook and I remember where I was, and I was on the Shelburne Road and I suddenly said, hang on a minute, I'll ring Porrig. I was looking for a quote from from O'Casey that talked about the two cities in Dublin, the rich and the poor, living cheek by jowl, because I was writing a chapter about this child, Lionel Sweeney lived on Weston Road, extraordinarily well-off background, and John Kirwan lived literally 50 yards away in a tenement. He all, Both of them died in Easter week. And I remember ringing Porrick and I was on the Shelburne Road and I said, Porrick, I'm looking for a quote from O'Casey. I had one, but it didn't work, where he talks about he said, I'm in the middle of something. Give me a few minutes. And by the time I got into the gate of RTE, through those massive security gates and the whole complex of the armed sentries and all that carry on, that's just to try and keep Pat Kenny out. But we, we <laughs> by the time I got into RTE, Shane, Powery Gates had phoned me back. He said, I have your quote. Yeah. And it's in the book. Brilliant. It's in the beginning of that chapter, "Tale of Two Cities," and that was found for me so generously that day and by it, it by was, Parik.
0: It was a tale of two cities. I mean, yeah. you know, my, I'm, I think of my grandmother's life around that. She would have been, and she would have been very sympathetic to the cause, but yeah. she had a very privileged middle class yeah, yeah. Uh, upbringing and lots of people had but then there were yeah, yeah. the people who didn't and I mean, I just, I mean I've I heard you speaking about this in the past if you lived in the tenements I mean the odds were you weren't going to make it to 10 years of age No
1: there's, there's, I have to check myself I was on about 50 schools it's now Easter Sunday so luckily a lot of them weren't open this week so I finished last week though I did a few places yesterday, given the day that was in it. But, like, I have to check myself when I tell children that in 1880 in Dublin, they did a survey of 100 children who were born in, around the Liberties, OK? And they went back to them 10 years later. And 62 of them were dead, 62 of them from child mortality. So, in other words, 30, only 38 of those children actually survived out of the 100. It is an unbelievable statistic. And what I remember, I, when I did it the first few times, I said, now I have to go back. That said, can't well, be right It's yeah. in the book. I yeah. checked it, but it is absolutely true. It was a different world. And that's on the cusp, remember, of the 20th century. That is on the cusp yeah, of that the 20th century.
0: Yeah, uh, it is incredible. It's a brilliant book, Poor Gates's oh. book. I want to ask you about your own book, though, because I think it's one of the most important books of the last couple of years. And it's mm-hmm. one of those books that you know it makes you stop and think because you know i you know i'd be from mm. a a family that would have been celebrated the rising yeah. and and you know i i'm still grateful in many ways that it happened but you look at the cost and you know i mean you, you, some of the, mm. some of the children you feature in your book the baby shot in their in their pram and, and it does make you think oh, jesus was any of it worth it is is irish freedom worth the death of one child almost you know
1: and you have to because that question came up a lot in the various places i visited It makes you think about war generally and Mm -hmm. I think about the importance of politics and the importance of talking and the importance of diplomacy and the importance of people like Samantha Power from Dublin, the US ambassador to the UN who's so vital in this attempt to get a permanent Syrian uh, ceasefire. It just reinforces the importance. But the story from the book that brings it home to me, that point, and the book isn't about blaming. The book, no, no, no. It, And it is, I don't think, in, uh, in fairness, uh, I don't think anyone has apportioned the book on one side no, or, no, no, or used it. it on yeah. one side or another. But like there's a story in the book of young Bridget McCain killed on the last night of the Rising, the Friday night, accidentally shot by rebels. And she had a little scrapbook and it's, um, it's the scrapbook is now on display in the GPO Uh, witnessed a history exhibition which was officially opened on Good Friday there by the Taoiseach and will be open to the public on Tuesday. They'll say it'll be very busy. But in her scrapbook, Shane, she had a photograph of a young child. She kept cuttings like Facebook these yeah, days. Yeah, she yeah. kept cutting. She lived in Henry Place. And one of the cuttings was of a child who was shot cycling across O'Connell Bridge in 1914 in the battle after the Holt Gun Running. Bachelor's two, Walk. Bachelor's whatever, Walk, yeah. exactly. Thank you. Where two people were killed. This boy was shot. And the photograph, she cut out of the papers, it was the caption of the child in his bed in the, in the hospital. And it said, this is Luke Kelly. He's 14 years old. cycling across the messenger boy. He is not expected to live. Two years later, Bridget McCain is dead. But when I saw the name Luke Kelly, I rang Jimmy Kelly, who's the brother of the, the Luke singer. we know, yeah. and I said, Jimmy, just a long shot, but I knew it couldn't be Luke the age, I said, is there anyone in your family, par for Luke, the singer, called Luke? And he said, yeah, me dad. I said, was he, but anyway, was he ever shot? He said, was he what? He said, every morning when we were being reared in Sheriff Street, he used to stand at the Big Belfast basin sink with his braces down around his waist and his white vest on, and he called He be shaving. He called all the kids. I said, "Come over here, kids!" And he'd lower the back of his trousers and he'd say, "You see that bullet wound? That's the bullet wound I took for Ireland in <laughs> 1914 <laughs> and I hope none of you is. I was twelve years of it. But anyway, my point is, he went on. Obviously, Lou Kelly is, his song, yeah, yeah. is a son, the singer. Jimmy's a great principal trade union, also a great singer. So he, he Lou Kelly, the child. Who died but didn't die, Bridget McCain thought did die. He went on to have a fantastic life and family, tough life in terms of poverty and that, where Bridget died and right. you kinda of say, I wonder what life Bridget yeah. would have had. She was a yeah. little poet and a writer. And war an is an intelligent child. Yeah, war is tough. But I've no doubt that the seven signatories that were marking today at the GPO in what? About ninety minutes time and the seven names will be read out, Clark and, and McDonough and McDonough McDermott and Pierce. Uh, and Plunkett and Connolly they'd be read I've no doubt that those seven signatories would want those people up on that pedestal with them they didn't want children to die they didn't set out marching from Liberty Hall around this well tomorrow morning effectively Easter Monday they didn't set out to see civilians dead and children dead and also there were incredible acts of heroism by civilians and by children
0: yeah that said, and I, I completely accept your point, that they would have been as horrified, more horrified than anyone at the death of those children. Did it change your perspective on 1916 doing that research? No, it, it's, it's definitely added
1: to my perspective. And by the way, one of the things that has changed, I I, I know this is a very odd thing for people to think me saying, but I think it in, in some ways it has increased my admiration for the seven signatories, for the visionaries, and because they didn't indiscriminately bomb they didn't in the week that's in it. They didn't walk in to an airport. They didn't walk into a busy place like yeah. a post office and spray the place with bullets. Yeah. They went in. You know the immediate reaction of the people collecting their separation allowance and buying their stamps. What in the name of God is going on here? And they start beating the rebels. But they didn't. They didn't indiscrimin the They set out to rebel in a very. If this war can ever fit, and I hope it's not, not misconstrued, in an honourable way. Yeah. Yeah, I you know, think they were honourable. Yeah,
0: yeah. I do. I do There's a great line in your book. One of the volunteers who's killed. He's a, I think he's, he's the only 15. Is it Sean Healy in FIBS? Yeah, his,
1: his mother. Yeah,
0: and his mother says, "Well, one of the relatives yeah.
1: after Sean was killed. And Sean was uh, Sean was uh, anyway like all. But he, they were boys. they were child. they were children. And what? What did she, even even in the Syrian refugee camps today? For, you know which are terrible but still children will find joy and happiness among each yes, other they, do. they yeah. will, they will invent games make yeah. games they will still hear laughter among all that awfulness Sean Healy was killed and um, died in the matter an awful wound to the head and one of the, his siblings subsequently said to his mother what happened young Sean and she told him oh she said oh he died for Ireland and the mother said well I, I would have much preferred if he'd lived for Ireland yeah but it's yeah. it's a complex, comp. Every all history is complex. Yeah. But yeah. all history is happening around us, and that's why, especially yeah. young people. And I, and I suppose the argument age, could
0: yeah. be made is that we have the luxury today of of living for, yeah. and maybe that luxury wasn't yeah. there a hundred yeah, years absolutely. ago. Absolutely. You've gone for um, a really good contemporary writer in your next choice, Donal Ryan, The, yeah. the Slanting of the Sun. That is a series of short stories. Series. Oh, for
1: me. Just straight into the solar plexus. You'd be, one, you won't put the book down. Two, you'd be reading at the end of the short stories. Three, they are so related to everything we're reading about. I was so struck by the number of issues that were the subject of short stories that we, well, you covered them as well, but like robberies of old people, the murder of an old person, a hit and run accident, people in care homes. And you might say, is this really the subject of a good subject for short stories? But a slanting of the sun, and people know Donald's previous "The Spinning Heart," which was a brilliant book. I have to say, I I,
0: I loved how well written it was. I found it kind of hard; it just it was so bleak, and there wasn't any particularly attractive characters in it. And even nobody nice in the book. Even
1: in a slanting of the sun, there's not there's not much love (laughs) or affection, or or affection. But it's still an incredible insight into the human condition. And again, I, I again, I'm trying to say to people. The Slanting of the Sun won. We do a reader's poll or a listener's poll every 22nd of December on Liveline and we pick 10 mm. books with the listeners. And this won it hands down this year, Slanting of the Sun. It didn't win the Book Award a month previously, but it won the Listeners Award because I think they are really accessible. They are extraordinarily well written. He flicks the language and the phrases out just so easily and yeah, they stick to the right wall there. of your memory yeah. with such permanence. No, he's... And remember, as I said, there's a whole slew of wonderful short story writers working in Ireland at the minute. And um, any of them are well worked, but the one that's in the uh, shop at the minute is A Slanting in the Sun.
0: And it's interesting you mention short stories because, like, particularly if you're busy and stuff, yeah, they're yeah, fantastic. right. I was just, I just watched the the short the Irish short story that won the Oscar the short oh, film yeah, yeah. and it just it was fantastic and like in what was it ten minutes uh, yeah, or something yeah. and it's just so well done I mean yeah. and there's something very satisfying yeah. about it and then
1: that. I I find with people saying oh I couldn't finish that book I I try to say to people don't be afraid of books yeah. Don't be afraid. Don't what. There's nothing. If you pick up a book and there's nothing in it to say you can't go to the last page if you want, you can be bold. Yeah, yeah, can the worst thing to do is read a hundred pages or fifty pages and then discover you wanted to read on. Don't be afraid of a book. Don't yeah. be. Yeah, don't short. Way. That's why short stories are so helpful. And don't be afraid of speed reading a book either. If that's what you want to do, yeah. do it. Nobody is going to
0: chastise you or stop you. That's the wonderful thing about books. Your book, you like, can do whatever you yeah, want exactly, with it, yeah. Exactly. Uh, listen, let's get to your final choice. Okay. Uh, another contemporary writer, somebody will, people will know well from her column in the mm-hmm. Irish Times, uh, Hilary Fanning, Hopscotch. And again, this is a book, it's a memoir, yeah, and yeah. A, another book that doesn't pull any punches, I think it's yeah, we're gra-
1: We are a great country for memoirs, be it Angela's right. Ashes, Bill Cullen, be it John McGahron. just incredibly Peter Sheridan, just so meaningful and enlightening. So Hillary, I picked up Hillary at the book just after, about two days after Christmas and I sat down, I think it was a 27, 28, I tweeted it that night, that's how I remember Shane and I read it in one go. I just thought it was fantastic
0: and for me coming that, that's from... Some, um, yeah, that's be, some endorsement of a book well, if, you can, bec- if you can do that in uh, one. Bec-
1: coming from Ballyfermat, okay, I I presumed everyone who lived in Hoth, though I spoke to someone yesterday and I said, where are you from? Hoth, he said, no, Sutton, Sutton, we're from Sutton, Sutting, not out. <laughs> but anyway, so um, I i presumed everyone lived. You know, you, you presume other people are, when they're better off than yeah. you have these idyllic lives of holidays and their fathers are brilliant and love them so deeply yeah. and their mothers are really brilliant cooks and so well read and the children all behave themselves and they go to good school. So I had this image growing up as a child that I wanted to be reared by someone else. Yeah. You know, I wanted to be reared by the shopkeeper who had a car and I wanted to be their child and where they could send you to the Gale Talk and they had relations outside of Dublin. We didn't. And then I read Hilary's book. Now I'm I'm well I'm well on the road to understanding different people's lives. Yeah, there's, there's, no, a there's very time few ago. utopias. Yeah, there. but Hilary's book, first of all, it's such a brave book. She writes a memoir, which is basically about her life between the ages of four and ten, Shane. Yeah, yeah. Six years. She writes it through the eyes. Of the child yeah. of that which a is a hard thing to do. Wow. stylistically, isn't it? Either? It is yeah. a, an incredible thing to do. Yeah, an incredibly difficult thing to do, and only a, a real creative writer, which she is, can do it. And I just thought, I remember reading the New Love book. Am I somebody? Again, a really powerful piece, powerful memoir. Again, from not that too far. She was in Clontarf, mm. right? And in some ways, stories are kind of indolent but lovable father who had a number of different issues going on in his life and I just thought Hillary gave gave us a, gave me anyway a brilliant insight because she was growing up the same time I was she was growing up in Sutting in the 60s I was growing <laughs> up in Ballyferme in the 60s and I just I got a, a wonderful insight and you, you realise and it's a reminder one of the power of books of bringing us into uh, other worlds but it's a reminder as well that um Okay, there are issues with income and poverty and and uh, things that affect you, but in many ways, your 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 happiness is not determined by your living conditions or by what your father or mother work at or otherwise.
0: Yeah. Absolutely, it's it's a, you're right. It's a, it's a it's a brutally honest book. She's a really nice writer as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She really. Yeah, she's a good storyteller. Fantastic stuff. Just to run through your, your five choices again: "An Evil Cradling" by Brian Keenan, uh, "My Oedipus Complex" short stories by Frank O'Connor, "A City in Wartime" by uh, Pork Gates, "Don't ride the Slanting of the Sun," and uh, "Hopscotch" by Hilary Fanning. Well, listen, I mean, look, you've, with Liveline, you've been one of the most important broadcasters of the last decade. I think Children of the Rising is one of the most important Irish books written in the last They're couple of years. C- congratulations me, yeah, on you. it. Now, here at Top 5 Books, there's a lot more interesting guests and books recommendations in our podcast feed for you. If you're listening on iTunes, I'd appreciate if you'd subscribe. You can give us a rating if you've indeed enjoyed any of what you've heard. Also, you can follow us on Twitter. We're at Chains Top 5 Books.